This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to study, and as we open your word, please, Lord, help us to understand. Please lead us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to I take one moment. I'm going to do, do three things here. I'm going to take a moment. I want to make a comment on my last session that we had together, just as a bit of clarification on some things I was talking about, so, we're very, um, so we have it very clear in our mind. Uh, in the last session, we talked about false manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to remember that that was the fifth presentation in a series of six. Why am I saying that? Uh, I do evangelistic series, and I always publish my schedule in evangelistic series with the knowledge that something will happen that I don't like to happen very often. And that is, inevitably, somebody will, in my evangelistic series, will go down all the topics and they'll find the mark of the beast. And they make a decision that they're going to bring their neighbor to the time when I do Mark of the Beast. So I do Mark of the Beast in my presentation around night 18, around night 17, which means I have 16 hours of preparatory material, so that way when I get to the Mark of the Beast, it's not surprising anybody. They know what's coming. However, somebody who comes for the first time to that, it will be quite shocking. And the reason I know that it is quite shocking is because my first experience in the Adventist church was a presentation on the mark of the beast. Okay? So, and and I, I handled it, but what's the point I'm making? The point I'm making is this. It is okay to talk about the false manifestations of the Holy Spirit and go over some of the principles that we talked about. However, you need to do that in the context of first showing what the true outpouring of the Holy Spirit looks like, okay? Does that make sense to everybody? So, and whenever we, whenever we, because we, sometimes we get excited about topics that are, shall I say, controversial. And it's okay to talk about controversial issues, but let's put it in the context of biblical studies. Let's study the Bible and then remember what John 13, 35 says. By this, you will, by this they will know that you are my disciples, that they have love for one another. We need to share this information in Christian love. We need to be very careful, tactful is the word I'm looking for. We need to be very tactful in how we share this information in Christian love. Does that make sense? Is everybody pretty clear on that? Okay, so with ha- having said that, is um, I'm going to take just a few moments. Is there anybody that has any questions about anything we've handled before we delve into our last subject, which is how do we protect ourselves from false manifestations of the Spirit? How do we ground ourselves? And again, the answer is going to be quite simple. Um, but how do we ground ourselves? Anybody have any questions that they'd like to ask on the material we've been covering? Wow, I guess I have been very thorough. Yes, yes. Uh, GYC is recording all of these. We'll make them available uh, shortly after. And several of you have asked for my notes. I have put on the, 
on the back table. They're back there still, right? I've put my, my business card on the back table. Um, you can email me, but I'm also going to submit my notes to GYC so they can publish them as well, okay? I have to clean them up a little bit because my speaking notes and notes that you can read are uh, two entirely different things. So, um, and so, but uh, I will make those available. GYC will make those available and you'll, you'll have those. But you can take my card. You can email me. I'm happy to send you information. I have some other things. I can send you, uh, for example, in preparation for this, I looked up every occurrence of the word spirit in the Bible, and I have that list. I can send that to you. Um, if you're on Twitter and Facebook, you can do Twitter and Facebook. I have that all on there, so you can take my business card. That's in the back. So, Okay? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. What is proof? Right. Sure. So the question essentially is: Is what is evidence that the Holy Spirit's at, we've been actually blessed with the Holy Spirit? Uh, as we look at everything we've covered, if we kind of try to put it together in one package, what is evidence of the Spirit? First of all, John fourteen fifteen. What does it say there? It talks about, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he transitions right into giving us the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so, I might hesitate to use the word condition, but I will just use the word for lack of a better word. One of the conditions of receiving the true outpouring of the Holy Spirit is, are we keeping the commandments? And notice, notice the context in which Jesus talks about commandment keeping. He doesn't say, if you want to be saved, if you want to be a good person, what does he say? If you love me, what is the context? The true context of obedience to Christ is out of love. We do not obey to be saved. We obey because we are saved. Does that make sense? Okay. So, first, that first evidence is that we are, we are a commandment keeper a commandment keeper out of love. We are obedient out of our love for Jesus Christ. Secondly, what is evidence? John 16 outlines the work of the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit is conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. What is evidence? Evidence of a true blessing of the Holy Spirit is a heart work that is going on where we, are, where we are understanding that sin is in our life, where we are overcoming that sin by transformation. Okay, I'm actually going to be preaching a sermon. My sermon this Sabbath is modification or transformation. The message of Christianity today is often a message of modification. That is not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about transformation. So evidence of the Holy Spirit is transformational work in our lives. Now, does that mean automatically, if I am having a challenge or difficulty overcoming a sin, does that mean that the Holy Spirit is not with me? 
That's not what that means. What that means is God is trying to work in us, and so we need to pray. We need to study, and we need to ask God, whatever it is, Lord, I... I can't give up watching this certain television program. I can't give up reading these certain books. Whatever it may be. Lord, I'm really struggling. Help me, Lord, because it's, uh, uh, it's like going, uh, and I just had lunch with a doctor. Uh, if you have high blood pressure, there's reasons why you have high blood pressure. And I'm not, I need to be very careful. I, I believe God has gifted us with doctors to give us medicine to help us. But sometimes when we take medicine, well, I'll, I'll just I'll use a better example. I get headaches sometimes, okay? So I take some aspirin. I take some Tylenol. You know, I take some ibuprofen. What, what I may be doing is masking a problem. I may be, and, and, and this happened just the other day. I had a headache. The reason I had a headache was because I was dehydrated. Okay, so what's the root of the problem? I need water. I need liquid. I need water in me. So what happens sometimes is that the Lord wants us to get to the root of the sin rather than to just mask the symptoms. So how is the Holy Spirit manifested? We are being convicted of sin. Okay, We're going to talk just a moment in blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Okay, The Bible is quite clear. We can come to a point where the conviction of sin is no longer occurring in our life. Scary process. And in fact, let me just deal with it right now. Go back and read the story of the Exodus. Pharaoh. There's a progression. First, the Bible says, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Then it says, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Then the Bible says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. That disturbs a lot of people. Well, the, the, what the Lord destined Pharaoh for failure. No, 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 no. Notice the progression. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Pharaoh didn't want to hear it. Well, he started by saying, Pharaoh, Pharaoh just was oblivious to it. Pharaoh no longer wanted to hear it and re- actually actively rejected the message. Because he's rejected the message so thoroughly, now the message actually does the opposite of what it intended to do. What do I mean by this? If you take up two bowls, and for those of you in Seattle, you're going to have to go south or something and find the sun somewhere. You take these two bowls, and you take one bowl and you put in clay. And in the other bowl, you put butter. And then you go put them in the sun. What's going to happen to the butter? It's going to melt. What's going to happen to the clay? It's going to what? Butter melted. Hey, heart, clay hardened. Same sun, different results. You understand what's happening here? So when we turn off by rejecting the process, the evidence of the Holy Spirit will stop in our life. We'll no longer have conviction about wrongdoing. We'll no longer desire to do right, and we really will care less whether we're ready for the judgment or not. What's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life? Active conviction of sin. The Lord is working on our heart. How is that conviction happening? Through our conscience through our brothers and sisters that we've put around us to hold us accountable, through pastor's sermons, through GYC. The Holy Spirit is working in a multitude of ways through the Scripture in my morning devotions, okay? Conviction of righteousness. The Lord's teaching us how to, how to depend fully on Him, to 
have righteousness by faith, that the Spirit would give us the strength and the power to live a victorious life. And then the judgment to come. We live in a constant, uh, and we were just talking with the sister here, we're living in a constant preparation of the second coming. Notice I didn't use the word fear. A constant preparation for. Jesus, and, 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 and the question was being asked, if, you know, do you think it's possible that Jesus could come in the next two years? Now, we know we're not supposed to set timelines. Is it possible? Sure it's possible. Because remember, the Lord changed, the Lord changed His group of disciples in 30 days. And in 30 days, they preach a message, and the church goes from 120 to 3,000. And then the Lord added to them daily. Then He increasingly added to them. Then He multiplied. Then He multiplied them increasingly. And then He multiplied the churches. The Lord transformed the earth. The Lord transformed the known world in a matter of months. We're no longer a church of 120. A church of 17 million people. If God chose, and I'm, I'm, I'm using these numbers arbitrarily, if God transformed the church and grew the church 300% in one day, as he did with the early church, what's 300 times 17 million? I mean, you're, you're talking billions of people baptized in a day. Can the Lord do that? He can do that. And so, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is that in individuals, these things are happening. And as these individuals are being transformed, they will then become transformational by how they are in society and through what they do. Does that make sense? Okay. Very good. Any other questions that we have before I move on to how to secure ourselves, how to, how to help us, how, how are we guarded against false manifestations of the Holy Spirit? Anything else? I know we could ask multitudes of questions. Let me, let me address one other thing because I, I, had a, I had a conversation at lunch about this. And that is... And that is that, uh, what do we do? Pastor, I feel, I feel like I'm alone. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do in my church? The question was asked of me actually in one of the first days. Should I go talk to the pastor? I mean, that's okay to go talk to the pastor. But folks, the only way, this, the whole thing we've been talking about, this transformational process of individuals in the church will happen, is it begins with me, and I pray for like-minded individuals. So maybe I have a small group study in my home. I have a small group study in my home. And we're praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what is the evidence in you... Just to further answer the question that you asked, what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit? As we as a group are studying God's Word and praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that's what we do. We're like, I'm praying for the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. That's okay. Pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because we each comprise the church. And so how do we know that that's happening? Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. What does Galatians chapter 5 say? It's the fruits of the Spirit. 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. 
And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's kind of a biblical package here. Because sometimes we can do that. We can become conceited because we're seeing evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We're seeing evidence of the Holy Spirit in in, in the life of our group at home. And then we say, but we're not seeing that in the church. You need to join our group. We need to be very careful about this, folks. Okay? We're not looking to divide churches. Okay? And, and unfortunately, you know, we, we talk a lot about church planting. And normally this is what church planting is in the North American division. There's a group of people that get really upset, don't like the pastor, don't like the worship style, and they go start another church. And we call that? Church planting. That's not church planting. That's church division. And there is a very clear message, folks. If we can't get, us, if we can't get along this side of heaven, we are absolutely kidding ourselves to, see, to think that we'll get along in heaven. And the reason we won't get along in heaven is because we won't be there. Okay? So God is calling us to come together to have the evidence of the fruits of the Spirit in our life to see evidence of the gifts of the Spirit occurring in the church. Okay? And we have all of that. And we, so you feel like, I'm all alone at my church, Pastor. Remember, this is the same thing that Elijah experienced. He experienced this idea, I'm all alone. What did he do? The Lord showed him, you're not alone. You're not alone. There's others who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. And so what do we do? We pray. Lord, bring some like-minded people. Bring some people who are really being blessed by the Holy Spirit and let's come together. Let's start praying. Maybe you start with two. Maybe you start with three. Okay, and I'm going to talk about what is the, what is the central focus of what you're doing? God's Word. Praying and God's Word in our life. We're studying the Word. Because what can happen when we start gathering these small groups? They can become gossip groups. We come together to be critical of the pastor, the elders, and all the other workers in the church. Listen, folks, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 11 years. I can tell you unequivocally, in 11 years, I have never done anything intentionally to try to hurt someone. Have I hurt people in my ministry? Yes. In fact, there have been people that I didn't even know. You understand? Maybe it's because I'm almost anti-conspiracy theory in my life sometimes. But folks, I... Your pastor, your elders, those people that maybe you're having a challenge with, I don't believe any of them have been placed. They've not said, you know, hey, listen, I'm going to take theology. And you know what? I'm going to go get my master's degree so I can really make the church a difficult place to be. No, no one's feeling that way, okay? So pray. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your elders. Pray for your church. Pray for your conference. Pray for your union. You know what? I praise the Lord for this youth, uh, the youth leader here in Washington Conference. He's come here. He's been supportive. He's asking people to come back and, and support. And that's what we do. We pray. We gather these small groups together. And we say, Lord, bless us with the Holy Spirit. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Change our lives so that we're transformational. And as that's happening, it will infect and affect your church. That, that's how God worked with the original church. He started with 12. Then there was 120. 
Then there was 3,120. Then there was 8,120. So on and so forth. And then he began multiplying them. That's what will happen. The Lord will begin multiplying the results of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our church. And remember, no magic formula to receiving the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 37 to 39, excuse me, Acts 2, 37 to 39 is quite clear. Repent, be converted, believe, and the Bible says the Spirit will be poured out. There's not any kind of magical formula. It is a simple process, and the evidence of the Spirit's working in your life are the fruits of the Spirit and transformational work of conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, and conviction of the judgment to come. And as a people, we live, we live in the context that Jesus is coming soon, and we want to be right with Him. Does that make sense to everyone? So how do we protect ourselves from the false manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we see going around. How do we protect ourselves? Let's ask the Bible, and the Bible will answer. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. The Holy Spirit has a tool. The Holy Spirit has a tool. And again, the the answer I'm going to give you is a very simple answer, folks. But I don't know how you operate, but in my life I've always found the simpler the answer, the more profound the results. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. What's he saying? We're battling false manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We're we're battling spiritual battles. So how do we prepare ourselves? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Therefore, stand. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with you, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation. And here comes the key. What is the tool of the Spirit? And take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Very interesting, by the way. The Spirit. What does the Spirit convict us of? Of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is an outworking of the Holy Spirit. Shotting our feet with the preparation of the Gospel. How are we able to make proclamation of the Gospel? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. How are we able to have faith even? Through the power of the working of the Holy Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the tool used to protect us from false manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense to everyone? The Word of God. And like I said, this is not not some complicated, profound formula. The Bible is quite clear. If we want to be victorious in spiritual battles, the answer is simple. You need to take up the Word of God. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. What is... What is the Word of God going to do in our lives? Hebrews Hebrews chapter 4, 
And notice what Hebrews chapter 4 says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God. And the Word of God is the tool of who? It's the tool of the Holy Spirit. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So what's the counsel here? See, the Word of God is the Word of God is the tool. It is the tool that will guard us against any and all false manifestations of the Spirit. Remember, what is what, and many of these verses we know. Isaiah 8.20. What does Isaiah 8.20 say? If they speak not according to this word, how much light is in them? None. It's pretty definitive. doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room. Psalm 119.105. What does it say? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Why? Because we're battling against spiritual forces who are forces of darkness. And again, we talked about this in the first day. What is the counsel to Laodicea? They need, they need ISAV. Why? Because they can no longer spiritually see. See, the Word of God turns on the light that we would come out of darkness. Remember Proverbs 4.18, the path of the just is a shining light that shines brighter and brighter unto a perfect day. See, we can no longer be satisfied with study of the word that is simply surface oriented. If I could use a diving illustration, see, too often our treatment of the word of God, we are snorkeling. God doesn't want us to be snorkelers of the word. Okay, He wants us to be scuba divers of the word. Digging deep and diving deep into the Word. Why? Because it will protect us from the false manifestations of the Holy Spirit. If we're having a challenging time, music, worship style, emerging church, different things that we were talking about, how do we protect ourselves? Here's unfortunately what many of us have done. And listen, I appreciate the ministry of Stephen Bohr, Doug Batchelor, Mark Finley, And the list goes on and on. But what we do often is, oh, he said that, so it is therefore. Now, does that mean we should stop listening to Stephen Bohr? No. But when Elder Bohr says something, we need to go to the Word and confirm what was said. When Pastor Holland says something, we need to go to the Word. Okay? And I'll give you an example. It was something very unintentional. I was preaching a sermon one time. And without, it just was a slip of my tongue. I said, Cain brought the right offering before the Lord. Now, clearly, I meant to say Abel. But if no one would have gone and checked me on that, People would go around saying, oh, that's kind of interesting. Pastor Hump thinks Cain brought a good offering. <laughs> now here's the sad thing. The only person to correct me was my wife. 
Which is a good thing. See? Because the two shall become one. Keep accountable to one another. You understand? But the sad thing is, is no one would say, nobody said anything. You understand? And so what's the point? We need to check in the word. Folks, I'm going to tell you, listen, and I won't give you any specifics because I don't want to name the individual, but here's the thing. We were talking about this earlier. There is a very well-known speaker, very well-known speaker, who I agreed absolutely 100% with the conclusion. But the way he got there was absolutely and totally incorrect. Because he talked about a certain word in the Bible and said, oh, it's this Greek word. And I said, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I went to do a study. It wasn't the word. And the problem with that is, is the whole sermon was based off of that specific word. You understand? Do I still agree with the conclusion? The conclusion was correct. But the path in getting there was incorrect. The word will guard us. Brothers and sisters, Ellen White says some of our shining stars, shining lights, will go out. We are not saved by faith in David Asherick. We are not saved by faith in Mark Finley. We're not saved by faith in Doug Batchelor or your local pastor or your local elder. We're saved by our faith in the grace of God. Amen. And we need to be examining the Word. And then, what happens in the Word? See, the Holy Spirit uses the Word as a sword that is sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the division of the soul and the spirit. This is not accidental language that... Paul is using in the book of Hebrews. Okay? There's a formula given in Genesis. Okay? In, in Genesis, what is the composition of man? Dust plus breath, by the way, which is also the word, spirit, equals soul. The Word of God is so living and so active and so powerful, they can actually take the very and divide the spirit or the breath right out of us. Do you understand how the, the point that Paul's trying to make is, 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 is that the Word of God is so fine in its cutting ability, they can actually, it can actually, and I don't want to say kill you, but it can divide, it's, it's that fine in its ability to work upon us. The Word of God, and it says the Word of God is living. The Word of God is merely more than just white pages with black ink. It's alive. It's an active piece. And that's what the Word needs to become in our life. Because the only way that we'll be protected from false manifestations of the Spirit is that if the Word of God is actually a living and active part of our life, does that make sense to everyone? It must be living and active in our life, not sometimes, but all the time. Notice now, we'll go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And again, it's a well-known passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, but let's look at how the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works to protect us from false manifestations of the Spirit with the Holy Spirit's tool of the Word. 2 Timothy 
chapter 3. And I'll begin in verse 10. But you have carefully followed... Oh, I'm sorry. Let me skip down to verse 14. But you must continue in all things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from when you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known. What have we known? The Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture. How much Scripture? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Scriptures are given, and, we, and then we find in 1 Peter, they are, and, and this word here, are given by inspiration, is, is literally God's breath. Okay, God is breathing these words. And we find from 1 Peter that the, that the Scriptures are written by holy men of God who have been inspired or moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is inspiring this tool. And it says that all Scripture is given and is profitable. Is profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. The Holy Spirit's tool. Word doctrine, big word for teaching. Reproof is a big word, and I'm oversimplifying this, but conviction tells us what's wrong. Correction tells us how to make it right. And instruction in righteousness gives us instruction on how to carry out the right doing. Does that make sense? Teachings, rebuking or telling us what's wrong, telling us how to correct it, telling us and instructing us how to live correct lives. Does that make sense to everyone? So the Holy Spirit is using the Bible as a tool to protect us from false manifestations. So that way, I'm sitting in a church service. I'm sitting in a Bible study. I am talking with a friend. I'm listening to a preacher. And they say, whatever. You say, wait a second, that doesn't sound right. Why doesn't it sound right? It's because I've so steeped myself in the Word of God that something's off. Remember, those who, who are experts at identifying counterfeit dollar bills spend all of their time with the genuine article. So that way, when a counterfeit is presented, they spot it in an instant. Does that make sense to everyone? And so, and so we're so steeped in... And, so, and folks, sometimes... I'll tell you an experience last night. It was kind of funny. Sometimes things look so much like the genuine that we really need to closely examine it. Yesterday I was walking out of the plenary, plenary session. And I, and just to, so everybody understands, my wife and I, we don't have any children. It's not because we don't love children. We love children, but we just don't have any children. And so anyways, I'm walking and I hear, I hear a young voice saying, Dad, Dad. Well, I'm, I, this, this really has no relevance in my life. I, nobody calls me Dad. Dad. And then all of a sudden I feel a hand on my shoulder. Dad! And I turn around, and this poor young lady's like, oh. and I said, you have told me something I did not know. And so, anyways, she was so embarrassed, but what's the point? What's the point? So we don't miss, in the funny story, we don't miss the point. From the back, I looked like her father, but upon closer examination, 
came the discovery that I, in fact, was not. You understand? Folks, the devil, the devil, the devil rarely, and false prophets rarely come carrying a card that says, hey, I'm false prophet. This is false teaching. Very rarely. See, false teaching is masked and mingled with truth. The emerging church movement. Is there truth within the movement? Yes. Why? Because the emerging church movement is very focused on making a difference in the community. And that's good. How we get there, not good. And so, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? We have to be so steeped in the Word that that way when false doctrine is presented, because false doctrine is going to... Listen, false doctrine is rarely... You know, you you never... False doctrine never comes in a package that is is not appealing. Okay? Folks, my brother-in-law lives down in Dallas, Texas. We visited him several years ago. We went down to Waco, Texas. For those of you who are unfamiliar, that happened in Waco, Texas. Waco, Texas is where David Koresh was when, the, when there, was, I mean, there was a great fire on their compound and it killed, I, I think it was 87 people. Brothers and sisters, there were people in this compound who were active Seventh-day Adventists. Now, just so you, in case you don't know the story, David Koresh claimed to be the son of David and the true and new manifestation of the Messiah. Inclusive of that was, no man in the compound could be married, so therefore all wives were married to him. Folks, there were people who went there knowing these things. And I just read an article, and I don't know where I read this article, but I read an article about, about someone who knew somebody from that place. Folks, the devil is crafty. And by the way, just because somebody's conservative doesn't mean there's not false doctrine. Amen. And just because someone's liberal doesn't mean everything is false doctrine. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. We want to be people of the Word. We want to be people known because we know the book. Because the book will guard us against... Why? Because the book teaches us all true doctrine. The book will reproof us. The the book will correct us. And the book will instruct us in righteousness. And by the way, and don't take what I'm saying the wrong way, I fully believe Ellen White was and has a prophetic voice for our time. But she still answers to the Word of God as well. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? Now, I've investigated enough that I've settled the issue that I... But I'll still check. And by the way, sometimes the prophet will say things that make you further investigate and maybe you come to a different understanding of Scripture. Why? Because maybe your understanding wasn't absolutely correct. You understand? Fascinating things happen. But the point of this is, is the Bible is God's tool to keep people. The clock is not His tool. But the Bible is his tool to keep us steadfast and faithful. All right. So let me read to you Messages to Young People, page 260. In your study of the Word. Now listen to this. 
in your study of the Word, lay at the door of investigation your preconceived opinions and your hereditary and cultivated ideas. You will never reach the truth if you study the Scriptures to vindicate your own ideas. Leave these at the door, and with a contrite heart, go to hear what the Lord has to say to you. As the humble seeker for truth sits at Christ's feet and learns of Him, the Word gives Him understanding. To those who are too wise in their own conceit to study the Bible, Christ says you must become meek and lowly in heart if you desire to become wise unto salvation. I've already read the passage in Great Controversy. Before the final visitation of God's judgment upon the earth, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of godliness that has not been witnessed since apostolic times. The spirit and power of God will be poured out upon His children. Okay, and it said, Now notice what it says. At that time, many will separate themselves from those churches in which the love of this world has supplanted the love for God and His word. So if we want to be people that are ready for Jesus, who do not want to be overwhelmed and overcome by the deceptions of the devil through false manifestations of the Spirit, we must be a people who are grounded on the book. Why? Because the Word of God will lead us into all truth and lead us into all righteousness. So let me just answer the question as we close. Because there is that glaring question. What is it, therefore, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Jesus is very clear in Matthew 12 and Mark 3 that the only sin that is the unforgivable sin or the unpardonable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. According to the Bible, what is blasphemy? Let's look at Mark 2.7. What is blasphemy according to Mark 2.7? They accuse Jesus of it, so we're able to know what, according to the Bible, is blasphemy. Mark 2.7, why do they accuse Jesus? Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So, blasphemy is taking the place of God in forgiveness. And then in Matthew 26, Matthew 26 and 65, they accuse Jesus once again of, Blasphemy, and what do they accuse him of this time? Matthew 26, 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. Okay, let's go back a verse so we can see what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, It is as you said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God, excuse me, at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need? Do we have of a witness? Why? Because Jesus had equated himself as God. And so, equating yourself as God. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Let's, in our last few moments, what is the work of the Holy Spirit according to John chapter 16? Convict of sin, convict of righteousness, and judgment to come. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit when I make a decision to become the arbiter of my own forgiveness and I make myself my own God by myself being, I weigh and measure everything by me and not His Word.
Which, by the way, last hour we talked about the emerging church movement. That is a fundamental principle of the emerging church. There is no truth. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And that is in its almost prophetic sense the fulfillment of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When we decide, we become the arbiter of our own forgiveness. And we equate ourselves to be God, no longer open to the Holy Spirit, convicting us of sin and convicting us of righteousness and the judgment to come. Now, have any of us committed the blasphemy or full rejection of the Holy Spirit? Okay? As long as you're still alive and you have breath in your nostrils, you can return to God. You can ask for forgiveness and turn from your ways. We have a living example and we don't have time. Go look at, this, go look at what happened with Saul. Saul turned upon God. Saul could have turned back to God. Judas turned from Jesus. The desire of ages makes it clear. Judas, Judas, had he confessed and turned, could have been forgiven fully by Jesus. And then we go to the original blasphemer, the devil himself. Read the story of the fall from heaven. The spirit of prophecy makes it quite clear. Had Lucifer repented, And turn from his ways. Ellen White uses these exact words. He would have been restored fully. Folks, he was the cherub that stood as one of the covering cherubs over the very presence of God. If God could have forgiven Lucifer, if you're alive and you have breath, he can forgive us. And the appeal, and really the... the, the, The conclusion of this six-part series is, friends, the Holy Spirit is God's avenue to bring about the salvation of man and turn us to Jesus, that we would truly be followers of Him. And today He's calling each of us to leave behind our own self-conceit and self-deception, turn to Him, Stay faithful to Him. Ground ourselves in the Word. Ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And allow the Holy Spirit to transform us through His power to be His witnesses. And as we are changed internally through the transformational power of the Holy Spirit, we in turn become transformational in the world in which we exist. Folks, I have enjoyed my time with you. May God bless all of you. May He be with all of you as you travel home. And may we each pray for the Spirit and be a part of God's last day movement of not only finishing the work in you, but finishing the work in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity. And as we learn, we pray, Lord, that GYC, the revolution, the revolution continues would not simply be some destination that we went so we could be with a friend or a loved one, but rather this was the place where the revolution began in my life and took off 
in the place where I live. So that way, as I was transformed, my community was transformed, my state was transformed, and the world was transformed through my submission to you. Father, please be with each one here. Keep them safe. And may they be baptized with the Holy Spirit in abundance. Watch over each one. And may each of us, if we don't meet again here, may we all stand on the sea of glass in your presence, dear Lord. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.